Who can say where the killer roams? When the blood flows, it's slaying time. Slay away. Slay away. Slay away. where we discuss the inspiration behind your favorite horror films, lore, gore, and every kill in between. I'm your host, E.L. King. On this episode, we're diving into the found footage, tension-building classic, The Blair Witch Project. I'm joined by a very special guest, host in Horror Today, Diction, to chat all about it. Nick, welcome to Slay Away. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to chat with me about horror? You ready? Oh, yeah. I'm always ready. (laughs) Okay, cool. I know it's funny. I never really thought I was like, you know, I should ask Nick to come on the podcast. I hadn't really thought about it. And then I was like, well, shit, Nick's perfect to come on this podcast. I I indulge in horror. Like I watch anything, but like I I really dig horror. like even though I hate most horror movies for like their stupid tropes and stuff, I still respect them for creating those tropes, Mm -hmm. you know? Like like slasher flicks, like like oh they they're they're kind of dumb, but like man, I could watch uh was it Friday the Thirteenth Part Four like a million times <laughs> just for Crispin Glover alone, just for him. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you think about well, if we we'll talk about that for one second because there's the dance scene. Yes, and his his kill scene is the best because he's like fuck what does he say he's like where's the goddamn can opener or something like that and then he gets like like stabbed in the head or something yeah it's so good <laughs> um i haven't done any of the friday the 13th films we'll have to think about that for the future this is my home which i am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the Blair Witch. i can see you i'm real excited about this thank you for I'm the very opportunity glad. This area's been haunted by that old woman for oh, yeah. I don't know why you have to have every conversation on video. Because we're making a documentary. Not about us getting lost. We're making a documentary about a witch. I we're don't. lost. Admit that first. No, I know we're not lost. You're all over the place. But how do we know it was people? Well, even if it wasn't, I'm not going to play with that either. And it's not because of me that we're here now. <laughs> Hungry and cold. And hunted. Just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. Tell me where you are, Josh! But for the Blair Witch Project, the film was released on July 30th, 1999, uh, and it was mm-hmm. written and directed by Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Mirick. 
Uh, when it came out, the documentary-style horror movie terrified some audiences who weren't so sure it was fiction. The marketing campaign for the film, or the hoax, if you will, caught us all kind of in its clutches, whether we believed it or not. So, like, even yeah. me going to the theater, which I am positive I wasn't actually old enough to go see this film. I think I snuck into the movie underage. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, with, like, uh, someone that was older than me. Um, and... Because I just remember people talking about it and it was really disturbing and there were all the posters, the, like the miss missing posters and stuff. And I didn't know whether to believe it was real or not. I was, you know, a teenager. So 1999, where was I? I was in like the eighth grade. Yeah, same. Yeah. I went, my dad took me to see it when I was 13 uh, because I was obsessed with it before it came out. Like I got really fixated on the lore and the like their online were you on the message boards like the website and stuff oh i wasn't on the message boards but i was on their website scouring it for days like of of like all the easter eggs and stuff and all the little and like i thought it was real for a second and then the reviews came out and i was like oh wait they wouldn't they wouldn't release a snuff film in theaters like that's ridiculous uh <laughs> So, yeah, so, like, even then, after I realized, like, oh, well, this isn't real, I was like, but this is really, really fascinating. And uh, I don't even think that I had to convince my dad. Like, he was just like, cool, let's go. Because he, uh, he's a very stoic, uh, you know, affable, like, very, very, you know, like, he's a funny guy, but, like, it's, you know, it's hard to read him. But, like, he likes horror movies. Like, I'm pretty sure he took my mom to see uh, Not the Living Dead on their, like, second date or something which is cute as hell. Love that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I remember seeing the movie. It scared the shit out of me. And then on the drive home, it was like me and my dad just kind of quiet. And my dad, I forget exactly what he said, but like he was, he was commenting on the, on the last scene where they go into the house. And he was like, I've seen a lot of horror movies and I've never seen one where they just go into the house like that where they just like, they just burn, you know, they just go in. It's usually a slow build. So I was like, oh, my dad was shook by this. Like, that's fucked up, man. <laughs> if he's, if he got scared by this movie, then I'm, I felt pretty safe in my like feeling of being scared by it too. Yeah. And I remember you and I actually watched it together quite a few months ago. And then I watched it again this week, uh, like twice or something to prepare. <laughs> because <laughs> it's so quick and easy to, to to watch it's like only 90 minutes long so although i remember this last time that i watched it um when i turned it on i was like there's just this there's a very long period of of it building where i feel like heather just says the same stupid shit over and over again and i was starting to get extremely annoyed just hoping it would get later in the film <laughs> that's like the first the yeah whenever i have to get into a conversation with people with the blair witch who don't like it that's their first argument is that Heather's a bitch. Like Heather sucks. <laughs> it wasn't even that. It was more just like they keep saying the same stuff over and over again. Like I felt like Heather just she repeats herself so much. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, shut up already. Catch a new tune or something. Um, and uh, yeah, she's really obnoxious because a lot of um, they were given and I can get into it. They were given direction, but most of the film was in improvised yeah. so i felt like um and i feel bad i'm like no offense heather donahue but maybe this is why you're not an actor now she's still doing things she was in it's always sunny 
<laughs> she is. She does things. But, um, her profession now is as a, a medical marijuana grower, oh. and uh, oh, that's, she wrote that's a memoir. Even better pivot than I could have ever imagined. Honestly, like that's so good for her. I'm happy for. Her. <laughs> Yeah, it was more just like, and I mean, they they were actors earlier in their careers too, so I can't expect them to have had lots of experience with <laughs> improvisation were, necessarily. Yeah. So I can't can't get I can't be too they hard on them. They were extremely young actors um, who were not working out of Hollywood, like they were on the East Coast, like not even New York, like theater style. Like they were just kind of like, I want to be an actor. I'm in college, and yeah, so like they got this project and. They they did like I I like all of the actors in it like I get I get the hate for Heather, but at the same time her arc is so good that like you can be annoyed at her for most of it I get it but then like once shit gets really fucking surreal and upsetting her 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 performance changes oh she gets much better oh in the yeah second half dude, of the like film. the the bit. Like not to get into like spoiler territory, but the bit where Josh is filming her and like berating her, and he says he like he just gives her this whole fucking monologue, and then ends with, uh, "Are you gonna write us a happy?" What's your motivation? Yeah, what's your motivation? What's your motivation? And then he ends it with, "Are you gonna what's write us motivation? a happy ending, Heather?" And she just breaks down. That shit is gold. Like that is acting yeah. gold, in especially for the horror like franchise. It's so good. Yeah, let's 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 jump back in. So th the Blair Witch is said to be, according to legend, and I think this is maybe a direct quote from Heather in the film, but the Blair Witch is said to be, according to legend, the ghost of Ellie Kedward, a woman banished from Blair Township, now the town of Burkittsville, for witchcraft in 1785. Burkittsville is, in fact, a real historic village in Frederick County, Maryland. Uh, in the Blair Witch Project, the real Burkittsville only appears twice. So we see... A welcome to Burkittsville sign and several shots of the cemetery behind um, St. Paul's Lutheran Church, uh, where the witch's first victims are buried. And then there wasn't much more of the town shown. It only takes like 15 minutes, apparently, to walk from one end of the town to the other. And at the time, the population of the town wasn't more than like 150 people. Oh, wow. And um, apparently, uh, American Sanchez didn't even film in the Black Hills Forest portion. Um, <sighs> Oh, of the movie in Burkittsville because it doesn't have a Black Hills forest. <laughs> it's not real. They just made um, up everything and everyone just yeah. Was um, back. So and 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 <laughs> those sequences were actually shot in. Um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. Uh, Patapasco Valley State Park. Sorry, that's in Pennsylvania, Maryland. isn't it? Has to be. Uh, I, I believe so. I didn't look up where the state park was, but um. The, the funny thing is that even the name Ellie Kedward, uh, I, I had read something where um, either Sanchez or Merrick had actually created this character based on names of other. Um, it's actually like two, the names of two male characters in history put together. It sounds like Kelly Edward. And then they just switched the K. No, it's not though. Um, I have to look at. I don't know where the article is that I was reading, um, but it talked about how they came up with this whole backstory of of the witch and came up with the character and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. So the whole entire thing is fabricated. So you know, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, um, witches don't this exist. This is a spoiler, spoiler, not a spoiler free podcast. <laughs> Ghosts aren't real. Witches don't exist. It's yeah. Sorry. Um, so they didn't even find real Burkittsville residents for the testimonials from. Burkittsville residents, those were shot in Germantown. Oh. 
Maryland they were convincing. Also. Like they, they, yeah. they just like told these random citizens like, hey, tell this story about a witch that doesn't exist. And they're like, all right, cool. And like, they seem very genuine, especially the one with like, the woman with her I like her daughter improvised. And her daughter's like, like covers her mouth when she starts talking about the scary like, shit. No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, convincing. Like, um, and then uh, so the plot for the film for people that are like less familiar, it's been a while. Um, essentially, found video footage tells the tale of three film students, Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard, and Michael C. Williams, um, who've traveled to a small town to collect documentary footage about about the Blair Witch, a legendary local murderer. Um, over the course of several days, the students interview townspeople and gather clues to support the tale's veracity. But the project takes a frightening turn when the students lose their way in the woods and begin hearing horrific noises. So the interesting thing is this um, this thing had said like, oh, she's this legendary murderer. But like from everything in the film and everything that I've read, like, the witch doesn't do any of the murdering. She was bloodletting no. from children, but she's, she didn't actually ever kill anyone. She's a master manipulator, which is the most, yeah. which is what scared me the most about her. Like, uh, like the, the, yeah, the, the, uh, Rustin Parr, that, that story where he mm -hmm. like gathered Ooh, and the children get into that. and then had, and then like, yeah, it was like, he was just under her spell, which is like a really cool, I don't know, like that, like the movie itself, like I understand criticisms, but like the idea of a witch never really hit me until I saw this movie and how like, like, you know, like, like the idea that witch casts a spell it's like, oh, okay, that's cute. But then this takes it to a, like the darkest corner of that aspect of like, oh, she fucking straight up will convince you to murder people and children just because she can, like, just because she has the ability to do that. And that's, that's so cool and terrifying yeah and i feel like one of the things um thinking about it is like this is the ghost of a witch and essentially this is ghost the, is a is demonic like it's lore? like a demonic presence right that could yeah. influence you to do things um so it's not just a ghost it's not just a witch it's not like there's there's something that goes above and beyond but they never go into that yeah um, i didn't know she was but, i didn't know, know she was a ghost i thought she was just like yeah, uh, it eternal. talks about the ghost of Ellie Kedward, and so oh. she is the witch. She's the witch from well, 1785. Well, I, so. I take that as like, oh, they they say ghost, but like, what if she just like can live for however long she wants to, and she's like a physical thing, but you just never see her. Well, that goes into another interesting theory if you think about. So the Countess of Bathory bloodletted from children to to maintain her right. youth, right, and live forever. So now if all we know about this witch is that she was bloodletting from children, who's to say that, that she wasn't doing something similar? Um, but then we go into the, all the murder stuff. So, um, so question for yeah. you, Nick. Um, we're all really instinctively afraid of natural things like the woods at night. Why do you think that the Blair Witch Project is such an effective horror film? Um, I'm going to have to like steal a quote from like, a, like the first trailer like a reviewer said it's like jaws but for the woods you know like it just instinct like once jaws came out people were afraid of the water like that made them scared of it um and uh i don't agree with that i think if you watch videos of sharks they're actually very docile creatures and they love being pet they're like dogs they don't want to eat you 
But still, like, that movie created a fear of the water that people hadn't really had before. And this movie kind of did the same thing. Like, yeah, being alone in the woods is creepy. But, like, now this movie gave you a reason to to fear the unknown, you know? Like, because it, it's, yeah. I don't know. I went too far on that one. But right. Like, <laughs> no, actually, but there's an article yeah. that I'm looking at um, that someone actually had said, uh, just like how Jaws lurked beneath the water, imposing a hidden deadly threat upon mm-hmm. the film's characters, the Blair Witch cackled unseen in the dark of the woods, terrifying its soon-to-be victims to their very cores. So um, I don't know if that's similar to the quote or if they happen to pull that quote out of a review, but. I think that they shortened it for the for the trailer, so they put it in one little, you know, nice little yeah. blurb there on the screen. But yeah. yeah, that's basically it. So I mean, yeah, definitely, this made you afraid to go into the woods. It it did, and like, what's fucked up is, uh, I'm allowed to swear, right? Yeah. I've been swearing the whole time. <laughs> you can swear. Just, uh, okay, cool. Fucking sweet. Uh, <laughs> I when I I grew up um, in a house in the suburbs, and there was a small patch of woods behind the house. It didn't go very far because there was a PG E like electrical plant back there. So like, you know, like it wasn't like you couldn't get lost there. Like it was impossible to get lost. But so I knew it like the back of my hand. I would go out there all the time as a kid. You know, I'd run around. I'd pick up logs. I look for bugs and snakes and stuff like that. I loved it. It was great. I remember the night I got after I got back from watching that movie and I was in my room. I could not sleep because I was thinking about that patch of woods behind my house, which I knew so well. But now that patch of woods was unfamiliar to me. It was it was foreign. It was evil. It was dark. It was bad. And that I like I, I understand like when I when I'm enthusiastic about this movie, like it's because I have this very specific experience with it. So a lot of people aren't going to get that. You know, they grew up in fucking New York City, like where there's a tree every couple of blocks, you know, like so they don't they don't understand that. Um, and that's fine. It's cool. Whatever, dude. But yeah, it's that's that's that scares me more than like like a slasher flick. I find those movies fun. Like they're just fun, stupid movies that I can enjoy kind of like passively. But like it's that sincere fear of the unknown, of the unknowable of things that are beyond our perception that fucks me up man. that that really will get to me perfect answer (laughs) let's step into a segment we like to call creep me out where we explore the true events and lore that inspired the film so the filmmakers of the Blair Witch Project were said to have been inspired by the fact that they found documentaries on paranormal phenomena scarier than traditional horror films. So I thought it would be interesting if we look at an actual story and historical reference to a witch in Maryland where this film takes place. So what I found in my research comes from the St. Mary's County Historical Society. And the story is about the legend of Mall Dyer. The famous Mall Dyer Rock, on which Mall Dyer reportedly froze to death on a bitterly cold February night in 1698, can be found at Tudor Hall. So, according to legend, Mall Dyer was believed to have been a witch. During the long winter of 1697 to 98, 
She was blamed for a plague of influenza that caused many deaths in St. Mary's County. A mob of villagers set fire to her small hut in the woods just south of what is now Leonardtown. She escaped both the fire and the mob and was found several days later laying frozen to a large rock. When her body was removed, on the stone, an imprint of her right hand remained. Townspeople saw this as a curse she placed on the area. The legend of Maldyer and her alleged curse has persisted for centuries. Touching the rock is rumored to cause misfortune from simple dizziness to illness. So Maldyer was a real person. She and her two brothers were indentured servants from Devon, England, who settled first in the West Indies, moving later to Maryland. The Dyer family line can be traced in St. Mary's County down to today. And the rock, which was moved in 1972 to the old jail from where it was found by newspaperman Philip Love in the woods near Mall Dyer Road, has gradually eroded over the years. So in order to preserve it for future generations, the Historical Society, along with the commissioners town of Leonardtown and St. Mary's County commissioners, relocated it to Tudor Hall in 2021. So, um, yeah, you can learn more about that legend and probably go visit uh, The Rock. But there is actually a book um, by Lynn uh, Boonviri called The Legend of Molly Dyer and Other Witch Tales of Southern Maryland. So go check that out. We're going to go through the timeline of major events in the history of the Blair Witch. So, um, yeah, so let's start in February 1785. Several children accuse Ellie Kedward of luring them into her home to draw blood from them. Kedward is found guilty of witchcraft and banished from the village during a particularly harsh winter and presumed dead. Okay, so from this, right? So she's presumed dead. So maybe she's not dead, like you said. Maybe, maybe she's not. Um, November 1786. By midwinter, all of Kedward's accusers, along with half of the town's children, vanish. Fearing a curse, the townspeople flee Blair and vow never to utter Ellie Kedward's name again. November 1809. The Blair Witch Cult is published. This rare book, commonly considered fiction, tells an entire town. Tells of an entire town cursed by an outcast witch. So uh, is that, so this was pulled from the the Blair Witch websites. This is probably stuff that you dug into when you were doing all your research back in the day. Oh yeah. I have, I, I used to have, no, I might still have the dossier. They actually released a book, an entire book with like everything. And uh, I, I don't know if I still have it. I probably don't, but like, yeah, no, that thing, <laughs> that thing's pretty dense. They went, they went hard for this. Movie they right. made for fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> um, November eighteen twenty four, Burkittsville is founded on the site of where Blair, the township of Blair, was. Um, August eighteen twenty five, mm-hmm. eleven witnesses testify to seeing a pale woman's hand reach up and pull ten year old Eileen Treacle into Tappy East Creek. Her body is never recovered, and for thirteen days after the drowning, the creek is clogged with oily bundles of sticks spooky it just gets weirder uh, it just March gets weirder 1886 <laughs> eight-year-old robin weaver is reported missing and search parties are dispatched although weaver returns one of the search parties does not their bodies were found weeks later at coffin rock tied together at the arms and legs and completely disemboweled so this story that one right there is one that comes up in the film we never hear about eileen treacle in the film yeah. and i think a lot of people never looked at the 
historical timeline facts before watching the movie. No, well, there's like, there's that yes. scene where they interview the fishermen and one, I believe they mention the girl getting pulled in. I, I know they, they talk about like a, right. a woman whose feet never touched the ground. I remember that line, but I don't know if that was connected it to the Eileen Treacle story. Uh, then um, Heather sits and does her monologue about the, the story of what happened at Coffin Rock. Yeah. Oh, with her, her documentary, documentary voice. voice. Yes, exactly. They went into the woods prepared to find death. What they found was a desecration of humanity at the site which trappers have often referred to as Coffin Rock. On top of the rock formation, the story of the torture inflicted upon these brave five men unfolded. Each was bound to the other, each man's hands bound to the next man's feet, forming a solid structure out of the men. Blood at the edges of the hemp indicates that this act had committed, been committed while each was alive and able-bodied enough to struggle. In the torso of each man, the intestines had been torn out crudely. On each man's sun-bleached face was inscribed indecipherable writing, cut into their flesh with an eerie precision. The men, still entranced by the horror of what had happened, left the scene to find the sheriff and did not sketch the writing and did not remove the bodies from the rock. Upon return, vultures were seen at the rock. But upon inspection, the bodies had been removed by persons unknown. The search party claimed that the stench of death was still thick, and whomever had taken the bodies had done so in a matter of hours. That happened here at Coffin Rock. <laughs> um, uh, November 1940 to May 1941. So we skip ahead like 50 to 70 years um, at this point. Uh, starting with Emily Hollins, a total of seven children are abducted from the area surrounding Burkittsville, Maryland. Uh, May 25th, 1941. An old hermit named Rustin Parr walks into a local market and tells the people there that he is finally finished. After police hike for four hours to his secluded house in the woods, they find the bodies of seven missing children in the cellar. Each child has been ritualistically murdered and disemboweled. Parr admits to everything in detail, telling the authorities that he did it for an old woman ghost who occupied the woods near his house. He is quickly convicted and hanged. There you go. He says that it's a ghost. He's well, but he's under her spell, so like you can't exactly maybe. trust everything. I don't know. He might think it's a ghost. Maybe it's a, it's just a straight up witch that's been alive for two hundred years, and it's just manipulated him to get Perhaps. more child blood. <laughs> that's how it started, right? She was getting the blood of the children, and well, then now this guy is now is getting more blood for her. That they come upon other people in the woods. You know, while they're filming, they get lost in the woods. They've got the map. The map eventually obviously gets lost. I don't know about I wouldn't say lost, but that's my one big criticism of the film is that it's Mikey, little Mikey. <laughs> well, it's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Oh, Mikey. Uh, so we'll get there. But like they even at the beginning, they're walking and walking. And Heather yeah. apparently has no realistic idea of time and how long it takes to get places when you hike um, because they're they're like, oh, it'll take this long. It'll take this long. And it actually takes like way longer. It's as if the forest or the trees are moving around or something like um, or the the or, you know, the trail is changing around them, which is a thought that I had. Well, at first, at first, she's doing a pretty good job. Yeah. And then after, after the, like the second day, after the first night where they hear all the trees cracking, then 
time and space start to kind of warp a little bit around them. My theory was, even though I know that it was like the production crew uh, cracking sticks and doing all that stuff out in the woods. Oh, even that. Um, they, had, the actors, they had flatbed trucks with, with speakers they <laughs> and they were just projecting right. and, loud noises of trees cracking, <laughs> which is amazing. The actors didn't know that that was going to happen. <laughs> um, so their reactions are very yeah. real. This is why like you can never make another movie like this ever again because it was so... Their, their fear and their exhaustion was so genuine. Like, there are probably new rules in place at, like, SAG because of that movie and what they put those actors through. But it made for such a cool experience. Like, like it was, it was, it was, they were, they were freaked out. They, they were seriously freaked out. And that made for a better movie. Exactly. And I know that they were aware of all this lore um, going into this project right so um some of the backstory and reception for the film um is something i wanted to touch on so i recently had read a new york times article that had this to say and i felt that it summed up the backstory and the film reception pretty well more than a year before the blair witch project hit theaters and became a cultural phenomenon its central mystery had already gone viral online we know this because nick was fell victim to its viral <laughs> Only for a minute. It, it wasn't that long. Okay. Also, in I was nineties when even the internet was like hard to access yeah. and stuff like that. Um, according to the movie's promotional website, which presented itself as a real investigative project, three film students, Heather, Mike, and Josh, had ventured into the Maryland woods in 1994 to shoot a documentary and then disappeared. Their footage was recovered a year later, providing evidence to support a disturbing legend. The online message boards began to buzz with questions about the story's veracity. Like we said, People were like, is this real? Is this not real? There were theories all over the place. I didn't read the message boards. You know, I was like 15 years old, so I didn't <laughs> care. Um, and the hype and the intrigue and skepticism surrounding the account fueled by the Internet's uh, advent grew through the movie's premiere in July of 1999. What eventually emerged, a feature-length film made of spliced together scenes and shaky home video, made the demise of its three characters seem all the more authentic and terrifying. The entire thing was a fabrication, but a lot of viewers didn't know that going in. There was a point in which people actually thought that uh, these people were dead. The actors, uh, even their IMDb pages online had showed them as deceased. Um, (laughs) And and, uh, because the studio that had bought the rights to the film, it's now a defunct studio. Artisan, right? Yes, Artisan. Um, had been really careful to keep them from the media. Imagine being kept from the media for like four years. That's a, well, <laughs> well the, did they actually the, film it in 1994? Did they film it later? Yes. Oh, they did? No, they did, oh, yeah. It, it was actually, I believe, actually filmed around that time, or 1997, actually. So 97. Okay. So they, but they, that's still like two years of waiting. Yeah, to yeah. They, they did like, the yeah, same no, thing with the, the Cannibal Holocaust uh, actors, too, back in the 70s. Yeah, so because of the whole buzz and everything around it. So um, to the point where um, because one, of the cent- one of the central people in this film is Heather Donahue, and the idea is that her mother took the the footage after the police, you know, had dealt with it and took it to Haxon Films to, you know, produce this production. 
and all that stuff. That's the the story behind right. it of how the the footage came about. So um, the funny thing is that even like the the real Heather Donahue, her actual mother was getting like sympathy cards <laughs> for the death of her kid um, because people really thought they were dead. Oh man. Yeah. That's so, it's so clever though. Like it really is, it's a lot of work like to do, to try to create this like aura and mystery around a movie that, yeah, I know it's just, I, I, I dig it. I dig it. And then of course for me, several, like several years later, we're talking like 15 to 20 years later when I would see Joshua Leonard in films, I didn't recognize him. Yeah. Well, he slimmed down a bit. And I mean, he's still, you know, like he's a, he's a hunk and a half, but, uh, yeah, no, I remember he was in a movie with, uh, uh, fuck Mark Duplass where they have to like Mm -hmm. have sex or something. They're like, they're like college friends that get together after like 10 years. There's some kind of orgy movie. Yeah. Yeah. And they they dare (laughs) each other to have, to make a a gay porno together. And I was just like, that's fucking Josh from Blair Witch. And they're okay, cool, dude. It is. Yeah. Um, but I loved Joshua Leonard. I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, So Sanchez and Mira conceived and directed the entire thing. So everything from the manufactured legend to the film itself, um, that manufactured legend includes the creation of Ellie Kedward, the witch and a ghost that we never actually see in the film at all ever. Yeah. That's, that's the main complaint I hear that fucking boils my blood. I like think not, it's just anything. like any it's like, classic film from like the 1970s that I think makes yeah. 70s horror so great. You never see anything. You only see things from the character's perspective, which makes yeah, it it's so like, it's much like, more powerful because what I is. can imagine is usually a lot scarier than what you can show me. So if you take the Blair Witch Project and then you look at the the third film, the Blair Witch, and you actually see yeah. the witch in that film, was that? Which well, scary no, you, for me. You don't. Technically, you see you some sort of, kind uh, of tree do. monster that she controls. They created that for the movie, and then it's in the video game too. Well, there's something you see, and it looks. I thought it was the witch, but I was there's, like, you see yeah, something, and, the, and that's and not end, with glowing eyes or something like that. And no, you, no, no, no. That's the tree monster. But there is one bit in the end where uh, the main character is filming in the house, and you see an old woman like walk into a room. Mm-hmm. and giggle but i i took that as an illusion i thought that was an illusion and not as that couldn't be the witch it's been a long time since i saw the newer one which i didn't think it was a terrible film a lot of it's people not, thought it was awful it, it, i was it, like it's not a terrible yeah, film but it's, it's exactly it's like the other film um except that they show you more right um, yeah it, it 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 suffers from the the problem that the original doesn't have which is it does not feel authentic it doesn't like you can tell these are actors yes like the main the main actor in in blair witch is on a youtube channel called uh uh sugar pine seven they they stopped filming like two years ago but like yeah so like he's an actor like you know he's an actor you know these people are actors and not real people and then yeah so it just just steals away that authenticity (laughs) (laughs) which they're like my my sister went into the woods because that's supposed to be heather donahue's brother um yeah exactly also uh uh, the the girl with the purple hair she is uh she was on the following the kevin bacon show the serial killer show mm -hmm. and she was also in uh detroit become human she was the android woman so it's like she's like instantly recognizable as being an actor so like that really 
instantly like takes you out of the experience like oh these are just actors they're, they're this is a movie i'm not watching anything that could be real it's just not real exactly <laughs> so um i didn't want to do like necessarily a movie review scene by scene for this it's like a 90 minute film and i felt like there's so many theories um mm. out there it would be really fun to talk a little bit about that and we never actually see the Blair Witch in the film like we talked about um and the thought is uh one of the one of the questions is the Blair Witch um is she the murderer like um who actually did the killing in the Blair Witch project so um lots of theories uh yeah. and some of them a, a lot of people say that it was Josh um I've heard I've heard my uh, the theory I've heard is that Mike and Josh lured Together. Heather into the woods yeah. and created this entire thing just to kill her, basically. Yeah. So here's uh, here. Okay, let me see. There. Let me see if I can pull these uh, theories up. So there are a handful of theories as to who could have murdered these three individuals, with culprits ranging from the obvious Blair Witch herself uh, to the documentary's cameraman Josh Leonard as the primary suspect. There are even a few details that point to Josh working with the documentary's sound guy, Mike, potentially under the control of the Blair Witch to lure in their mutual friend, Heather. But did the Blair Witch do it? Did Josh do it? Did Josh and Mike do it together? Um, so that's kind of I, I wanted to go in and actually discuss this with you because I think sure. it's a great theory. And it's not something I've ever spent a lot of time thinking about it because I watched the film and I'm like, OK, and I'm trying to remember. So when um, Josh gets slime all over his shit and then he disappears. Right. Um, yeah. And then we hear him like screaming in the woods or what we assume is Josh screaming in the woods uh, late at night and Heather and Mike running around. And then she finds this satchel full of fun things um mm -hmm. what's in the satchel teeth just teeth josh's teeth just teeth they, and they hair. were listening to him getting his teeth ripped out that was, right. that was so yeah in that satchel i can tell you um because i made a note it's real human teeth and it's actually joshua leonard's hair his actual hair Oh really? Yes. I mean, he had a, he was he had like a man bun, so he had a lot of hair. Yeah. To spare, so in I the guess, pile so. of twigs, it's actual human teeth from a dentist from from nice. Sanchez's dentist, apparently, <laughs> and um, Joshua Leonard's actual human hair. You'd be surprised, man. You could go, so to, you could go to any dentist and ask for some teeth, and they'll just give you some teeth. Yeah, like that. But that's some <laughs> authenticity right there. Like that's they went a long way to be like this is off. I mean, this is not. It's fake, but it's really fake. <laughs> Right. So, um, yeah. So what do you think about that? So Josh is being tortured, getting his teeth pulled out or whatever. Is he being tortured and um, convinced to to kill the other two? I mean, well, if we're going with the theory that him and Mike are in on, you know, the murders, he could have just left camp, screamed in the middle of the night, you know, to fuck with them. And then, like you said, before this all started, he asked his dentist to give him some teeth. And then he created the bundle and just took out, he cut some hair off his head and boom, he could have done that himself. It's really elaborate and doesn't make any sense, but it's feasible. I don't know. I kind of feel like I get the idea. I don't think that they're in cahoots with each other to lure Heather out into the woods and plan a murder. It's really elaborate. It's they so both elaborate. like accidentally also get killed because there's a witch in the woods. Also, like the theory falls apart when that in that one sequence where they've been walking south for an entire day and they end up at the same river and log they climbed over a day before. 
Mm-hmm. Like they've walked in the exact same direction. They have a compass, so they know what direction they're walking in. It's like that's not possible. That is that is physically impossible for that to happen. Um, so like unless they did some weird shit and drugged her, so then spun her around, so she got all backwards. Like that doesn't make any sense for that to happen. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um. So I just yeah. I I mean. I feel that it's totally likely uh, here. Let's look at this. Okay. So after five nights of horror in the woods, Josh disappears without a trace and can only be heard at night screaming for help. The next morning, a bundle of six tied with pieces of Josh's flannel shirt appears outside their tent. Upon closer inspection, the shirt is covered in blood and inside they find unidentifiable items of which uh, fan speculation has called teeth, hair, a finger, a tongue, bone and or josh's necklace so it's like yeah for me i see a tongue when i look at what's inside of there when um, i first thought if it was fingers and then i realized upon i was like i saw teeth, teeth hair and i thought i saw a tongue yeah um, or part of a tongue because there's definitely something squishy it couldn't, be a, it couldn't be a tongue because the night afterwards he's calling for their names well see and that i probably didn't remember so he's like he's talking when he's actually the, the next night. So if you need a tongue to you know create words and shit. It's interesting. I still feel like there is definitely the possibility that Josh, like Rustin Parr, is overtaken by the witch and that yeah. he uses his screams, right, or his calls for help to lure Mike and Heather to the house. That's that's what I initially like believed. Like I still believe it. Like he didn't just get abducted from their camp like he got you know like she used her powers Maybe the slime um, like what is the significance of the slime I don't that's know. what the i want to know is that is ectoplasm? like what is this yeah the slime I, I can't Ghostbusters to me yeah i can't fathom the slime it doesn't make any sense but i agree that like yeah he didn't get abducted by the witch she just used her powers to convince him to walk away from the camp and then come to wherever she was and then that's right. where the torture starts but yeah, the slime part was just like, I guess she was tagging him. That's what I got from it the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, she's marking him. Like, this is her target right yeah. now. So she, I don't know. Um, No. <laughs> she slimed all over his things yeah. and was like, I've marked my territory. Josh is my next victim, et cetera, et cetera. So in the final scene, Mike and Heather wake up to Josh's screams in the middle of the night, like you said, and they are just running through the forest towards his voice with nothing to direct them, but like the lights on their cameras. For us, what we see for a good portion is just like total darkness. The screen is black. Yeah. I just, we just hear voices. And one of the weird things for me is that a lot of times when they wake up in the middle of the night, Heather is like, grab this, grab that. I need to get this on dat. I need to get, yeah. I was like, so you just want to record the audio or whatever? Like you don't care about what's going on. Like you're not more concerned about what's happening. That to me was super weird. And part of the reason I was like, for fuck's sake, Heather, at this point, the documentary is not important. Yeah. Like surviving and getting out of the woods is important. So like well, yeah. she's, I mean they address even that. in that fine even not maybe not that very final scene, but the night before she's like, get the dat or whatever. Yeah. I want to get this on dat. I'm just like, seriously? <laughs> Stop. Um, but so the duo, um, they they stumble onto this abandoned house in the woods, and um, it's this very like rundown structure. Presumably, this is the house um Rustin Parr's house yeah from the woods that they talk about from from this like story um and during uh, like the interview portion of the film that the the two hunters uh were talking about um 
and Mike is he enters the house immediately and like bravely he races up the stairs with his camera light and he's screaming why. Josh's name um and he's trying to be a guide and Heather's like super frightened and, and um she's trying to keep up with him chasing behind with her own camera um and she has the the black and white camera the like nicer the, i think heavier 60 expensive millimeter camera. Like, film camera like, yeah. um and they rush up the stairs and there's like children's handprints all over the wall mm. and they see this like the, the walls that they're like dank and decrepit and um it's definitely there's an indicator that they're inside the home of rustin parr where the the seven children were murdered when they reach the upper level of the house josh's voice now appears to be coming from the basement so it's not coming from upstairs anymore now it's coming from the basement um and so mike it kind of starts reaching this state of panic he runs down into the cellar um and we see heather looking down that staircase right um and he's hoping to find Josh. And but when we see his camera hits the ground, we know that, like he doesn't find Josh. So um, Heather's just like screaming and she gets to the cellar. Um, and just like we hear about with the child murders, what we heard from the story is that Rustin Parr likes to have one child in the corner facing away from him while he murders the other child so she gets down the stairs and mike is in the corner facing away <laughs> and mike's facing in the corner of the room and then she just screams and then all of a sudden her camera hits the floor so we assume that she's been murdered or hit over the head yeah. or something great payoff real great payoff and that's it the movie ends um it's a killer soundtrack during the credits it's so creepy <laughs> So yeah, like it, at that moment, we're like, who did it? The the Blair Witch, she do it all by herself. Um, where's Josh? We never find out. Yeah, we never see Josh after he disappears. Where's Josh who killed Josh? How'd someone kill Josh? Maybe Josh isn't dead. Maybe he is just the now entranced subject of yeah. Ellie Edward. Well, like, not to reference the newer Blair Witch movie too much, but like they, they do build on the lore a little bit with that one character from Burkittsville, like the dude who's like obsessed with the Blair Witch and he's got his little DV camera and he gets entranced by her and he says the line, like you have to do what she says, which I thought that was really cool world building. And it, it, it brought back a lot of like memories of the first movie. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, so Josh had to do what she said. Like, so if you, if you think of it in that context, like what if he pulled his own teeth out? Like, what if she convinced him to do that? Like, that's fucked up. That's so messed up. And so and in the same context, like, so what if he was the one that, you know, like, told Mike to sit in the corner while he killed Heather, you know? And the witch was never there to begin with. She was somewhere else just, you know, pulling the strings like a puppeteer. Like, this makes the most sense to me, the theory that Josh did it at the end. Because, um, and this is, this kind of, this this article goes more into it. They say, um, while many believe that the Blair Witch is the obvious killer, Josh um, is probably the one who actually committed the murders, um, just like with Rustin Parr. Like, he's the one who killed the children. So this is really important in the final scene because Mike faces the corner, which tells us, you know, his death is implied. Um, and that uh, similar to the murdered children, then Heather is there. We're with Heather. And the only person we do not see, but who we heard was Josh. Let me see. And likely Josh was influenced similar to the way that Parr was influenced 
many fans have come to believe that Josh is the likely suspect as the one who murdered Mike and Heather. Um, the fact that his belongings were targeted when their campsite was destroyed would also suggest that the Blair Witch was targeting him um, even earlier on their trip, like you had said, like she had um, decided like, hey, that guy, ponytail, that's who I'm going after. Looks like an easy target Go for, for me. Over that chain-smoking ponytail motherfucker <laughs> over there. Um, you know, he's out of cigarettes. Now's my time. perfect time. He's agitated. I'm going to get him. Um, but uh, like, how do we explain why Mike would agree to face the corner? So in the story of, of like Rustin Parr, the children were forced to face the corner because Rustin didn't want them to watch as he killed the other children. Yeah. Um, so the fact that Mike doesn't even appear to be scared, but rather dazed or controlled by an unseen presence validates this notion that Mike is responding um, to a possessed Josh. So in the end, Josh is most likely the most likely candidate to have actually like pulled off the killings at the end of the film. So like, it makes sense to me that the the presence of even the witch is like keeping Josh or not Josh, but Mike in the corner mm-hmm. um, while Heather runs downstairs and then Josh, like a possessed Josh takes care of the rest. So um, then there's the theory that Josh and Mike did it. So I'm, I'm curious about this because you, even you mentioned uh, some of this. Um, yeah, could Mike be involved? So some people speculate that um, Josh was like really nice and, and th- the most passive of the three people. And it was Mike who was the weakest of the bunch. Mike was also definitely like very aggressive and uh, uh, unhappy, like even almost from the moment he stepped outside of his door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right very um, irritable then, yes extremely irritable um he was the most frightening when the cackling was going off uh in their tent um he was really vocal about um his hesitance to like pursue the making of the documentary after they began to experience the weird phenomena in the woods um and then Mike was the one responsible for kicking the map into the creek, <laughs> an act which made uh, it made him sound like he was just it was out of sheer frustration. But that's totally nuts. <laughs> like after they walked in circles for a full day or days, he finally admits that he kicked the map into the creek after he starts cracking up. Like yeah. after that whole time, he's in on blaming Heather for it. That was a weird character note they gave him. Like it'd be one thing if he just like like frustratingly like ripped up the map you know out of just like pure anger but like that the way they revealed it was really it was really weird he just chuckles and is like i I kicked that fucking map into the creek it was useless it was useless like no it's not useless first of all um also like maybe yeah heather's like maybe you didn't know what what, where we were going i knew what the map (laughs) said and i'm just like yeah like the I mean, and the fact that he let Josh believe that it was Heather's fault for so long before he admitted oh, he that he kicked the shit out of Josh. Yeah. Oh, it was um, it was bad. Could, I mean, maybe you could hand wave it away with uh, like maybe he was under the witch's spell the whole time. That's too. what I thought. Like, yeah, like maybe he was influenced to to in a moment of frustration get rid of the map. Not that well, like the thing with the map though is like. It didn't matter because the witch was bending space and time around them no matter what. Like, the map was useless to them from the beginning because she would just... However, even though that was happening, just having the map made them feel more secure. So once the map was gone, they began to unravel more quickly, which I think that 
that state of mind but, made them more susceptible to hold on. her. Think about it this way. What if they, they had the map powers the whole of time, persuasion, maybe? And then they still ended up, you know, in the exact same spot they were a day earlier when they walked in one direction. Wouldn't that mess you up even more? Like, no, the map says we should know. be here, but we're here. This doesn't make sense. That would, that would really mess me up. I think I'm more, I don't know. There, even, even if I had, I would just boil it down to me reading the map wrong and still think I was okay because okay. I had the map. You know what I mean? Um, so there would be a sense of security still just because I had this this stupid piece of paper, right? Um, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, did did Mike intentionally sabotage the trio? Were his was he being malicious? Was he being controlled? Um, you know, did the Blair Witch strike first with Mike and you know force him to get rid of the the map and then um abduct josh and and use him as bait and in the final scene is uh mike the driving force that leads him and heather into the abandoned building where they meet their fate um if mike if the mike and josh theory is to be believed then um it might also explain why mike a grown man was willingly standing in the corner um either he was under possession of the blair witch or he was uh part of the human bait used to lure heather like and that's the idea that josh and mike just lured right. heather into the woods because they wanted to murder her but it's far too elaborate i think for the two of them honestly um they don't seem that that intelligent no. to me <laughs> and <laughs> like, like it's far too it's just too it's over the top um unless it's like hey let's lure our friend in the woods and murder her and we didn't expect to get lost yeah and, it's like, just possessed so by a witch, et cetera, et cetera. and it's like they're like paying a toll too like this is like it's not fun like i don't care how sadistic you might be like that getting lost in the woods and going camping and all that nonsense and filming a documentary like that's so much work just to kill somebody <laughs> like there's so much work you have to do yeah. when you can just kill them i mean i sound like a psychopath right now but like still um yeah so the ending was actually a last minute decision apparently um and they decided to go with mike standing in the corner um, and at the time they thought it was the right balance between needing a payoff for the audience and then retaining the mystery of what had happened to the filmmakers. Um, but literally they only had a couple of days le left of shooting and it was only an eight day shoot. So um, let me get into some of the fun facts for you besides uh, Josh Leonard's hair and the teeth and the twigs. Um, <laughs> so the script was actually a 35 page outline. Um, and most of it was dialogue that was improvised by the actors to make the story seem more real. So they were just given notes on the outline and the general direction and uh, allowed to improvise the rest of the way. Um, which is, I think why we got a little bit of repeti repetition in a lot of the yeah. things that they were saying. And I don't know if maybe just when they cut together all this footage, they didn't really realize that that happened because um, it's something that I noticed more and more uh, when I would rewatch it. Do. It's like they say the same also, thing a lot. Keep in mind that like it was filmed on two completely different formats. So like one was videotape and the other was 60 yeah. millimeter film stock. So editing those two things together in 1998 was not easy, like not at all. So <laughs> yeah them them like the fact that they managed to put this movie together and it being as complete as it is is pretty miraculous um but yeah no i totally get that like yeah sometimes they just kind of like blather on and say things they said two scenes ago you know 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, each actor was paid $1,000 a day a for an eight-day shoot. Um, and obviously with the films, I know, it seems like a lot, right? And with the film's success, uh, they earned a lot more over time. I think uh, Williams had said uh, over time he oh, earned shit. like $300,000 or something <laughs> like that from the film. Um, so he got his $8,000 payday and then over $300,000. <laughs> from the Blair Witch Project. So um, the characters of Heather and Josh were actually supposed to be former lovers originally, but the idea was scrapped before shooting um, because they, uh, some of, some of the, I don't know, one of, one of the scenes that they shot, Josh was actually late for shooting on the first day. And the joke that actually ends up in the film where Heather scolds him, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. calling him Mr. Punctuality. Um, the joke annoyed the director so much that that's the point that they decided to kill off Josh first instead of Mike because of the tension that was presented um, in that one moment of the film. Um, but Joshua Leonard was rewarded with a hearty meal at Denny's uh, while the other actors were only given rations of power bars and bananas while in the woods. Um, and later a Jane's addiction concert while the other two remained at Seneca Creek state park. Uh, so I guess huh. it pays off to die first. I mean, I wouldn't choose Jane's addiction, but like, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So the whole, all of them. Yeah. All of them lived on power bars and bananas. I mean, really neat. Well, and water and given rationed food. Okay. Yeah. And ra they were given rations while they were out there because they had to act they tried yeah, to make yeah. it as real as possible of like you were Again, literally like not running out of like food said, but you don't have a lot to eat can't make this movie so, anymore um, because there are rules about what they did <laughs> pretty sure it's because of this movie <laughs> um yeah <laughs> um the actors used gps trackers to locate their instructions for the day um produ production would program a gps with a waypoint for the actors to locate milk crates that were filled with plastic containers and each one had story notes for each actor inside and they were then free to improvise from there so they didn't even yeah. see anybody they were just they got gps instructions uh to go to these milk crates um so this that seclusion and isolation, they were literally just stuck with each other for that time period. Um, and then the creepy sounds of children in the woods actually scared actor Mike scared Williams. Too. There's like a YouTube video of it. <laughs> he was really terrified of that. Um, and the actors used a code word. The code word was taco for when they wanted to break character and speak out of character. Um Shooting actually finished on Halloween night in 1997, apparently. So, okay, yeah, it was shot in 97. Um, forgot, I just looked that up today. Um, and the cast emerged from the woods for their first full meal. Did they get for, Denny's again? They gave in Denny's? the woods for over a week. <laughs> yeah, probably they had like a nice hearty <laughs> meal at the Denny's, which is probably the only restaurant nearby. Um, and Williams had described seeing people in costume for Halloween as being very surreal after spending a week in the in the woods like and not seeing anybody um and overall they actually had 19 hours of footage that was edited down to just 90 minutes and it took sanchez and Merrick uh eight months to edit mm -hmm. the film for sundance the original cut of the film is over two and a half hours long and i would yeah. like actually love to see it but it's, i don't it's probably it's, gonna, it's gonna be a lot be more of the me. repetitive dialogue though we were talking about earlier <laughs> Well, I'd just be like, oh, gosh, what if there's something else that's interesting? Um, so but maybe the reason it was cut down so short was really just like we want it to be as mysterious as possible. And you don't get any you don't 
there's you don't get any extra clues you you have to make up everything yourself like other than like the sticks hanging in the woods and the bundles and the and the the graveyard which is actually just a rock, yeah. bunch of rock piles um and things like that because i remember it was really funny when heather's like yeah we're gonna go apparently there's this really cool graveyard and um it turns out they find it but she references what one of the stories from the townspeople was um about like these piles of rocks so apparently these graves are piles of rocks and the piles of rocks equal seven seven dead children so presumably it's the gravesite uh for the seven dead children that rustin parr murdered um and then there's those three piles of rocks outside their tent indicating that they're gonna get murdered a lot of good connections (laughs) um yeah a lot of connections so um since the release of the film Burkittsville, Maryland has also dealt with a lot of vandalism and creepy fans, apparently. Um, but yeah, uh, so outside of that, um, and it took a long time for this to happen, but Blair Witch, uh, the game was developed by Bloober Team, known for the game series Layers of Fear. Um, and it's a psychological survival video uh, horror game based on the Blair Witch horror film series, like the entire series. Um, having played the game, uh, in my opinion, it's only really superbly scary at the end, culminating in the house, at least for me. So it's the same house that we yeah. like see in the Blair Witch. Um, I spent a solid hour moving through that house in the dark, trying not to die because I was convinced if I just turned out. Dear God, that house sequence was way too long. It was way too long. <laughs> if I just turned my flashlight out and I like hugged the wall and moved around that the tree monster wouldn't get me. Uh, most of the lore was really interesting, um, but it's definitely, I, yeah. I think it's worth a playthrough for any horror fan. Um, the, the the game also had five possible endings. In, in, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Including a secret ending. Um, I don't remember which, I think I got good dog. I think I got the good ending. So um, I got <laughs> one of the good endings that I got. Bullet survived. So that was the good part but I think I got possessed by the witch at the end or something like that. You turned into Carver. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the ending I got. I think I Spoilers. also turned into Carver. I think I got Carver good, in the game. good dog, but I turned into Carver. Well, I mean, the you know the game has now been out for, I think, like two years. Around like ish. August 2019 or something like that, I want to say. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, not too many spoilers. There's still a lot uh, of meat in the game itself, um, and it was quite the playthrough. I think I finished it in one go, though. So mm-hmm. uh, there's also a, a murder mystery tabletop game from Hunt a Killer that is a Blair Witch crossover that you can play with friends that came Hunt out. Hunt Killer um, is cool. Hunt yeah, it's like really a collaboration cool. between Hunt a Killer and Lionsgate films. Um, so definitely that's something to check out. Like if I could play top, tabletop games with my friends right now, I definitely would. I, mm-hmm. I would. I would snap up that game in a heartbeat um it's really hard to play virtually like i tried to do it as (laughs) a stream and i was like i have to fucking scan all of these documents and then read them out oh god that's way too much but like if you've got people in your house you know like hunter killer is really cool for like true crime stuff it's it's dope yeah i'm a huge true crime fan personally so um and i think that's another thing for me with the blair witch project because when i think about it it's it's horror it's paranormal and it's got a true crime element mm-hmm. and the mystery thrill kind of thriller behind it um but the pacing of the film is one thing for me that like not a lot happens until you get like two-thirds of the way through the film where the pacing really picks up 
a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is a, just this slow burn, um, really trying to build the tension between the characters and making you feel like a filter. hangout film. Yeah. Like, they're just like two, three characters. They're getting drunk in a hotel room. You know, they're going around this town asking these colorful characters about this lore and stuff. Like it's, it's interesting. I wouldn't call it slow. It's definitely very interesting, but like the, the, the horror part of it doesn't kick in for, yeah, for until like 25. Yeah, exactly. In. So if you're going in expecting, uh, it's not, it, it's not an 80 slasher film. It's not like a, it's, it's, it's very much its own thing in found footage films. It's not paranormal activity. Okay. Like it's, it's, no. it, um, it broke a lot of ground for the found footage genre and it's, it's, it still stands on its own. I don't think anyone could replicate this. Yeah. It's because <laughs> you can't take actors out in the woods and give them rations and then tell them the to dance. act <laughs> while you terrorize them with speakers <laughs> in the middle of the night. Like you can't do that right now. There are laws like <laughs> it's, exactly. it exists in this capsule of time where indie filmmaking was like really burgeoning and they could just kind of like experiment and do whatever the hell they wanted to. And then they were rewarded for it, which is great. Um, but yeah, like that, like now there would be like entire teams of people making sure these actors are safe and they're comfortable and, you know, like it, it and you wouldn't get that genuine terror and exhaustion from them because they would be taken care of and that's fine. But, you know, I'd rather see the latter. I'd rather see like the, the, the genuine version of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the other things that I like to do at the end of chatting about a film is giving it a bloody knives rating. So that's, that's Ooh. what we do here on Slayway. So for me, this film as groundbreaking as it was and as great as it is, I still only give it a 3.5 out of five bloody knives. Um, it gets points for originality and the, the bit of scare factor and, um all that good stuff um but still it's one of those things that i don't watch it too often because really it's one of those for me that that experience can almost only be lived once the way you the way you feel when you watch it for the first time is not something i think you can capture again it's the same reason that you can't make this film again yeah you can find little details here and there but like they already created an entire mythology around the movie without you having to watch the movie so if you want to dig into it you can do that without actually having to watch it so yes. i totally understand that i give it a yeah. four but yeah. a lot of that's nostalgia like i said the first time i saw it it was in theaters when it first came out i was young impressionable i i don't i think <laughs> it might have been the first horror film i'd watched in theaters actually uh ever really um, yeah um uh, before that like i didn't I had to get good grades to watch R-rated movies in theaters mm. when I was a kid. So I think the first one I got to watch was, um, uh, shit. What's the one with Kurt Russell in the truck? Oh my God. In the breakdown. Truck. It was a breakdown. Great film. Oh by the my way. God. Break, breakdown it's is so a good. great film. It's so good. But like, it's yeah. And so Kurt like, Russell. and yeah, it's like, like totally not a B movie, but it's not one that I think a lot of people even remember. Yeah. About. If you've never seen breakdown, do yourself a favor and go watch You're gonna it right learn now. a lot about license plates. Yeah. And, it's so good. Um. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So like, I think the Blair Witch was like the third or fourth, like R rated movie. I got to go see in theaters. And that was the first time I ever watched a horror film in theaters in the dark, you know, like completely immersed with the speakers and stuff. So 
It I wish just I remembered because really... I feel like for me, the first one I saw, it was probably, I don't even know if this was rated R. I think it was Scream. That's rated R for sure. Yeah, uh, it was Scream. They stabbed the shit out of Drew Barrymore in the beginning. Um, they did. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, I think Scream was the first one that I saw. That's, in that's theaters, a good so. one to see for us. I think I, I watched that on VHS when it came out. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I'd give it a solid four, mostly from nostalgia. I've rewatched it multiple times. I I really, it's not so much that I like the movie, which I do. It's that they created this entire universe around this $15,000 fucking movie they made, which is absurd. It's so absurd to create all of this around like this found footage film that like they didn't even know if anyone's going to ever see it. Like they had no idea. It could have just been lost to the, you know, the ether and they got luck. They got lucky and they were smart about it and it got released and that's great. So I, I mean, yeah. So like a big part of it is just me appreciating the ingenuity of the, of the directors and the artistic integrity they had to create the story, whether you like the movie or not is kind of not the point, you know, like it's, it's such a cool experience as a whole which you can't say for a lot of movies. Definitely. I think if you were around, if you were around when the film came out and the, the hype around it, like that experience was really unique and special. And it's not something that I feel bad for generations of people now that are never going to have that with a horror film. Cause that it, it, it's not something that can be replicated. No, Um, they tried with Cloverfield. Yeah. And they kind of succeeded. Unfortunately, the movie itself is, it's okay. Like it's just it's <laughs> I felt just like you were okay. gonna say something much more harsh there. No, no, went, it's, went it's fine. Like, like I love like... A, I love a good giant monster movie, but like that movie itself is mostly about rich white people in New York, and then they right. also get attacked by a monster. Um, so like <laughs> but like the you know, the hype surrounding it was cool. They built the website, they had all these Easter eggs hidden in JJ Abrams, like old TV shows like alias and stuff like that. Like that was dope. And yeah. that was like, a overall, kind of a, I love JJ Abrams. So yeah, no, I, I do too. And that was a cool attempt at recreating the hype that Blair Witch had, but it, I just, it just kind of fell short because the movie wasn't that great. It was fine. It was okay. It was fine. I'd, I'd rewatch it, but like Blair Witch fucking bops, man. Yeah. And then, um, it's, <laughs> if you look up hacks in films, um, the founder is Eduardo Sanchez and that's the film, <laughs> the other film studio that supposedly they brought, you know, the film footage to, to mm. do the Blair Witch project. Um, and it's still on the internet. You can look it up and stuff. It's like, oh, really? if you go down rabbit holes, you can still find all this stuff. And, um, if you I go to they... their web, the website for hacks in films, it's, um, all about the Blair Witch project. Oh wow! I know they've they've made movies since Blair they Witch. They have. They made. They did uh, VHS two. They did uh, Lovely Molly. They did. I remember uh, Lovely Molly. What did they do in VHS two? Which 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 short? It was something. It was on Facebook apparently. Like they had. There's Adam Wingard did the first one. And then there's something called Exists, which it looks like a Yeti in the woods. Five friends. Yeah, that one's really bad. Cabin in it's the woods. really bad. It's so boring. Oh, it's Bigfoot. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's um, there's I think Merrick or no Sanchez did an alien movie that also had Michael from Blair Witch in it, and he gets disemboweled in it, and it's it's pretty okay. It's it's all right. Yeah, there's quite a few things in the woods. Um, 
That's where they feel the safest. They film in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. But I mean, yeah, the Blair Witch Project is great. If you've like never seen it, please go watch it. And hopefully you went and watched it before you listened to this whole podcast yeah. uh, episode. But spoilers. Um, <laughs> Nick, uh, thank you for joining me for Slay Away today. I really appreciate it. And I hope to have you back again to talk more horror films soon. Uh, sure definitely. Thing. You would be a preferred recurring guest anytime. I know way too much about movies. It's stupid. Thanks for slaying away with us. Until next time, stay spooky.